Hey everyone, do you love movies? Do you like betting? If you do, then Box Office Bets is the podcast for you. With Tom Cunningham and myself, Brian Ortega, we'll guide you through Oscar season with our breakdown of each Oscar contender and give you our projections based on what the betting market is saying about each Oscar race. Make sure to check us out every week as we focus on a specific movie and break down its best chances to win right here on Box Office Bets. Hey everybody, welcome to Concierge Confidential. I'm your host, Brian Ortega, and it's now time for the podcast that all you first-timers were looking for, and that is the First-Timer's Guide to Las Vegas, where I'm going to highlight the things you have to do when you come here to Las Vegas on your first time. So it's essentially like an itinerary that I sort of loosely put together. Um, this is specifically for if you're coming to Las Vegas for, you know, three to four days, uh, which is about the typical amount of time that people come to Las Vegas. Vegas is typically, they say, uh, like a three-day visit. And uh, I would say that's kind of true, but also, you know, inaccurate because there's so many things to do in town. Uh, but this is specifically for those of you that have never been to Vegas before and are trying to see it for the first time. So this pod was actually uh, brought about because I had somebody from who is a listener. Her name is Jackie. She reached out to me on Instagram, which if you would like to, you can reach out to us at concierge confidential underscore LV. Ask us any question. And if we haven't answered it already, we're going to we can put together a pod for you. So uh, in this one in particular, she's going to be coming to Las Vegas in June. And she was just wondering on things that she should do while she's in town. So I thought it'd be really fun to kind of give her a, an example of things that she should do or maybe avoid when she's here in Las Vegas. Um, I kind of covered a little bit of that uh, some pods ago in terms of walking the strip. So we're not going to be talking too much about walking Las Vegas Boulevard because there's an entire pod for that called the ultimate guide to walking the Las Vegas strip, uh, which I think outline a good amount of what to do when you're walking on the strip. So in this one in particular, it's going to be talking about what you should know when you get to Las Vegas, how to get to and from your airport, or to, uh, to and from your hotel, obviously, uh, places to eat, also um, some lunch options, dinner, breakfast, all that good stuff, a attractions, all these things that you should know coming into town. So um, first thing I should tell you, though, is just know that if you do reach out to me uh, on our Twitter or Instagram, that the first thing I'm going to ask is, you know, what kind of trip are you trying to have? Are you coming with uh, significant other and you're trying to have a real relaxing trip or you trying to trying to do a sightseeing trip are you trying to do like a foodie trip because really these are all things that you can sort of weave into your itinerary of how to do Vegas so kind of just off the top I just want you to know you do not have to have a planned out itinerary to the T for Las Vegas what's great about this city is that compared to other cities like New Orleans or New York or Chicago or Los Angeles where things are kind of spread out and kind of hard to get to sometimes and are sneakily, you know, far away. Las Vegas is actually much, much smaller than that. Yes, it's sneaky, sneakier walking in terms of the city because, you know, it's only four and a half miles of Las Vegas Strip, but it can feel forever. So um, you don't have to actually have everything planned out to the T because really, if you get in an Uber, you can get within any place within, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and it may be even less than that. So that's really the great part about the city. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is what kind of trip you're trying to have, how many days you're going to be here for, what things you're into, what things you're not into. Uh, this is a very common practice. So when I used to be a concierge that I would ask you, I always tell everybody, because I get this question a lot, like when I'm just hanging out at work and people say, well, I have friends coming into town for a bachelor party. What should they do? 
well, I don't know. Are your friends like crazy, like freaks, and they want to just like do strip clubs every night? Because if they want to do that, there's a there's Las Vegas for them. Um, if they're actually a little bit more, you know, let's just say refined, and they want don't want to do that, and they want to have like a nice guys evening or guys weekend, and they want to do like wine tastings or whiskey tastings, uh, we have stuff for that as well. So really, it does matter what your group is looking to do. Also, you know, budgeting is a big thing. Uh, especially when I used to sell a lot more. Nowadays, I'm a little bit more abstract uh, just because um, it's hard to sort of get into your budget because I'm not really making you buy anything at this point. So, but when I used to be a concierge back in the good old days, obviously, uh, I would ask you, well, what's your budget? Is it between this and this? How much money are you trying to spend for this and that? And it might seem like kind of a, a coarse thing to ask somebody is how much money are you willing to spend? But it actually just helps us both sort of zero in on what we're looking to do. Because I'm not going to recommend, for example, like Absinthe, if you're, which is a show, which if your budget for a show is maybe 50 bucks, I can't recommend Absinthe because it's totally not going to be reasonable to recommend that. Uh, so that's why we ask so many questions. So just understand that we are asking questions, trying to get down to the, the, meat, of the, uh, the meat of the issue, if you will. So uh, we're going to start now. So here we go. We're going to start our ultimate guide to a first-timer's trip to Las Vegas. Okay, number one thing you should know. So when you're coming to Vegas, obviously you're going to know how many days you're going to be here. A couple of things that are good to plan in advance are any dinner reservations that you believe are going to be at really popular restaurants. So a couple of restaurants, I 100% would recommend you make a reservation before you get here. Um, number one would be Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen, you can sort of debate whether it's good or not good, but you can't debate that it is a very hard place to get into. So Hell's Kitchen is extremely hard to get into, uh, especially if you're already here in Las Vegas. It sometimes takes a miracle, and most people, when they come to Vegas and make the reservation late, have to settle for eating like almost at lunchtime, which would be like 3, 3.30 in the afternoon for like dinner. So just know that Hell's Kitchen is probably the, one of the number one hardest places to get a reservation in here in Las Vegas. Uh, number two would be uh, Carbone, which is at the Aria. Carbone, you typically need you know two, three months in advance to make a reservation for Carbone. And typically, you have to call to make that reservation. Um, if you are a person who is a uh, MLife member, which if you've never been to Las Vegas, it's kind of hard to become an MLife member before you get here. But if you live in a place like, say, like Detroit or um, over on the East Coast, uh, I forget the name of it, National Harbor, uh, or someplace else in the world like Macau and you are an MLife member, sometimes it's good to sort of throw that around just to see if you can help get your reservation. But for example, Carbone, really hard to get reservations day of. It's almost impossible. Unless your name is Justin Timberlake, then go ahead by all means. Uh, another place that's really hard to get reservations for, I kind of put these together, are uh, Delilah's, which is at the Wynn, which is typically a very hard reservation to make. Typically, they like to be exclusive. Typically, they like to only have Wynn guests there. And also, they typically only like to have celebrities uh, go to Delilah's. Also, if you are a couple, so like a small group, it is really hard to make a res because most of their couple seating or you know, two, uh, two tops or covers uh, are typically going to be outside or away from the main stage. Most of the main stage, larger groups, six, eight, ten people at a table. So Delilah's, as well as my personal favorite, Mayfair Supper Club. Mayfair Supper Club is becoming a little bit easier because a lot more people are sort of going towards the Delilah route, but just know that they can also be very difficult because they have a view of the Bellagio Fountains. Uh, also, Wolfgang Puck's Spago, which is at the Bellagio, can also be a pretty tough reservation. So 
those are just an outline of a couple of the restaurants you should try to make reservations before you get here. So that's probably number one. Before you even come to Las Vegas, maybe a month or two out, typically they only let you book you know, 30 to 60 days out depending on the restaurant. If it's a restaurant you really want to go to, you need to make a reservation ahead of time before you get here. So, and let's move on to the next thing because we can talk about all day on that. So let's just say you're here and you get to the the airport. So you're here at Harry Reid, which used to be McCarran. Uh, a couple ways to get to and from the hotels. Uh, you can certainly take a taxi. Uh, the taxis typically have a hard limit. Uh, this is so they can compete with Uber and Lyft. So if you're going to go to, let's just say the Bellagio, which is pretty much center of the strip. So any hotels that are staying in that area, which would be like Bellagio, Horseshoe, Paris, the Planet Hollywood, that's going to run you somewhere between $16 and $18. So that's before tip, but that's going to be somewhat what the rate is going to look like is $16 to $18 to get from Las Vegas Airport to mid-strip. Um, if you're going to be doing an Uber, Ubers do fluctuate depending on how busy it is. So let's just say that it's a Friday, pretty busy time. You're probably going to be looking at somewhere between like $20 and $23 to get from Harry Reid International to the Strip. Um, it obviously fluctuates depending on how far you're going because it can also get closer to around, you know, $16 to $17 as well. Um, and I've seen it, you know, as expensive as $30 to get to and from the airport. So Uber and Lyft typically are a good option unless you're sort of at that sort of peak time uh, to get to to uh, to the Strip. Uh, they've also made it much easier to get to the Uber pickup, which is going to be at the airport. Do not, and I repeat, do not walk from the airport to the strip. I don't care how much money you're trying to save. It is not worth your time to walk to and from the airport. It is not close. It is actually a very far walk. And I have to say, every time I see people actually like walking from the airport to the strip, um, I always sort of cringe just a little bit because why, why do that to yourself? Don't do it. Just bite the bullet, pay your like 20 bucks to get to and from the strip. It's, you know, I would, that's what I would recommend. Uh, you can take the bus. I've actually never taken the bus to and from the airport, but I, I mean, I don't recommend it uh, just because, again, makes a lot of stops. And the thing is, you're trying to get the most out of your time here in Las Vegas. So once you get to your hotel, which these are the hotels I would highly recommend stay at your first time. Again, depending on your price range, this will obviously fluctuate uh, just because everybody has different experiences they want to have. So uh, a couple of good sort of, I'm, I'm going to call them generic hotels, but hotels that are kind of in the middle. They're four-star hotels that really can accommodate anybody. For example, Park MGM is a great option. Uh, Park MGM, their rooms can be a little bit plain, uh, but they have pretty good views of the strip if you can get a uh, window view or a strip view. And they have a pretty good array of suites and also just standard rooms. And they're actually in a really good location because they also have a tram that connects them to the Bellagio as well as the Aria and Crystal Shopping Mall. So it actually is a nice, uh, convenient place to stay. Um, I would also recommend MGM Grand. MGM Grand, it also, it's there I, just because I used to work there. But they do have a very large selection of rooms. Uh, I do not recommend. Here's another do not. I do not recommend stay at their run-of-the-house rooms, which is typically what they call them as their most affordable rooms. Do not stay in those rooms. Those rooms are in the West Wing, which the West Wing is the oldest part of the hotel. And if you get super unlucky, which I hope you don't end up getting unlucky, uh, they will put you in, for example, like the first floor or the second floor, 
which doesn't have any windows. So I've seen it happen where people book the run of the house rooms and you're all the way in the basement. So I, <laughs> I don't want you to do that. So just keep that in mind if you're going to be staying at the MGM Grand. So a couple of places that are in the middle of the strip, Paris and Planet Hollywood, are also absolutely fantastic options if you're going to be staying on the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, they're typically going to be sort of mid-level hotels. They're going to be built during the mid-90s, early 90s, sorry, late 90s, excuse me. And Planet Hollywood actually has been redone because it used to be the Aladdin, which it was knocked down and then rebuilt in the uh, early 2000s. So it's actually, it's about 20 years old, but it's actually quite new um, or, you know, middle-aged, if you will, for hotels here in Las Vegas. So uh, as we move on, as we get going through the rest of the trip, um, I'm going to go ahead and start highlighting some things about eating. So that'll be our next part of this particular podcast. So stay tuned for that. All right, everyone. So now we are here in Las Vegas. We're now at the hotel. Um, if you can, you can check into your hotel and just make your way up. Uh, typically, if you're checking in early, so typical check-in time is about 3 p.m. Uh, that's pretty standard across the city of Las Vegas. Sometimes you can do it a little bit earlier. Sometimes uh, you can pay for early check-in. Uh, I would recommend you don't really need to pay for early check-in. Usually, if you get there early and let's just say it's a busy, busy week, um, you can try to get the early check-in. It's it is really tough, but Thing is, though, is that if you do get here early um, and you want to bypass the line, so there's one way to bypass the line, and this is something that you have to do essentially the day before, so going sort of in reverse, is that you can do request uh, mobile check-in. With mobile check-in, you're able to uh, check in the day before, where when you get to the hotel, uh, you're able to go right to a kiosk, it'll print your key, it assigns you a room, and you're good to go. Sometimes if you get there really early, you'll end up going to the kiosk, you'll get your key, but not get your room assignment. Typically that is texted to you later. Important negatives and positives to know about doing mobile check-in. If you do mobile check-in, 100% you get to skip the line, get your keys, you're good to go. The negative is though, is that if you're trying to get any like complimentary upgrades or anything of that nature, that does have to be done in person with an actual human being. So that's why we still have the check-in, uh, the check-in uh, attendants, the check-in, the front desk agents. Wow, I almost forgot the, the the name for them. And this is how I always recommend to check-in is with a live person because if you check in with a live person, they're much more able to be flexible with you, maybe get you into a room that wasn't available earlier. Uh, because if you make a reservation for a two-bedroom standard room and you do mobile check-in, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get any upgrades no matter how nice you are to the computer. But that's just one thing that you should know. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, so I just you know want you to know that that checking with an actual human being does have a lot of positives. You can say, hey, I'm here for a birthday and I want to, you know, I'm here for a birthday and it's her first time to Vegas and yada, yada, yada. So if I hear that as a front desk agent and me trying to create a memorable experience, which many hotels this is always sort of their MO is that they want to be part of your fantastic experience because they know that if they do a good job, you'll hopefully come back. That's always sort of the basics of really elevated service here in Las Vegas. So if you say that to me and you're nice, obviously, and I'm not too busy, to be honest, um, I'll try to do my best for you in that interaction. 
Uh, something you should know about front desk agents is that they are typically given, not given, but they usually are told to have at least a two to three minute interaction. That's essentially what they're told to do if it's a really busy day. Obviously, yes, they can be longer than this. Sometimes check-in takes a little bit longer than that process. But this is sort of the aim because they have to get through so many guests. Uh, you have to remember I worked at MGM Grand, which we had over 5,000 rooms and we can have over 3,000 check-ins in one day. So that is quite a lot of people to go through if you're going to be sitting there having a deep, uh, you know, deep conversation. So that's why I love being a concierge was that I was able to have those deep conversations. I would talk to somebody for a whole hour without booking something. So that was really great part about being a concierge was that I got to really sort of dive into your vacation. So again, this is my little tip to you is that if you want to bypass the line, mobile check-in is 100% a great way to go. Just know you do get the little extras if you are able to check in with an actual person, which I know can sometimes take a long time. Typically, the check-in line gets the longest around 1 o'clock, between you know, noon and 1 o'clock. So if you have a flight that lands before that time, you might be able to check in you know, a little bit early. Uh, but again, uh, you'll get your keys, but sometimes you may not get your room assignment. And of course, you can always leave your bags at the bell desk, which is complimentary for guests. So it's actually complimentary for everybody. You actually don't need to uh, present anything if you are if you are going to be um, uh, just using the bell desk. A lot of people use the bell desk on their way out of Las Vegas, where they just leave their stuff and then bring the ticket back later. Um, I do recommend you do tip, especially if you're going to the bell desk. Um, I would say if you are going to your room and you have, let's just say, five pieces of luggage, I would say think like 2 or $3 per piece of luggage. So let's just say you have three pieces of luggage. You Let's just say two times three, that's $6. That's completely fine if you're going to be doing, you know, uh, for for the tipping for the luggage. Uh, that's if you really want to get sort of nitpicky about it, if you're going to be, you know, pricing it per, you know, piece of luggage but that's usually how the bellmen actually think about how you should tip so if you they bring up let's just say two carts full of stuff which is you know maybe 10 bags let's just say two times 10 that's obviously 20 bucks so you should give them at least a 20 which you know to me sounds about right so just know that that's kind of how they equate their tips uh so just keep that in mind um and also really important to note you have to be in your room you have to be in your room if they're going to take the bags up to you. So typically that means you have to call using the house phone or the phone in your room. They will not take your bags up to you if you're not in the room. So before you get really angry about it, they will not leave your bags in there without you in them. So just, you know, keep this in mind when you come to Las Vegas. So anyway, so those are kind of the basics of getting into the hotel. So once we're here, what do we do for, you know, eating and sightseeing purposes? So going back to Jackie, the person who uh, asked for this particular pod, um, she wanted to do specifically more sightseeing stuff. So uh, a couple of things I would recommend, some of the sites that you have to see. These are the, the list of the big sites. Um, you definitely have to see the Bellagio Fountains. I would recommend at nighttime. Sometimes if you get it you know, at sunset, is a really fun time to do it as well because sometimes you're there for you know an hour where you'll actually see it with the sun up and also the sun down. Uh, so that's one thing that I recommend is the Bellagio Fountains. I would also recommend, if you get here in time, is the volcano erupting in front of the Mirage. More so because it's not going to be here anymore once they make the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. So that might be something to check out. Uh, but definitely check out the Bellagio Fountains. Uh, another thing that people really enjoy 
is seeing, you know, views. So the things that I would recommend that you should see is definitely the high roller, which uh, up until the last time I checked, I believe was the highest or tallest, excuse me, observation wheel in the world. It's about 550 feet. Uh, I did work there for a while, so that's actually why I know that. But it's definitely something that I would recommend just because you get a good view of the city. I would highly recommend doing it in the daytime because you see so much more. Um, I would also recommend, I mean, sunset's the best time to do it. But if you do it at nighttime, just understand you're doing it at nighttime to see the strip. Uh, I would say, eh, it's okay at nighttime. I mean, it's fun. It's a good time. But daytime is when you get the most bang for your buck. And it's actually more affordable in the evening and usually not as busy. Sorry, usually in the daytime, excuse me. Uh, so that's maybe another site that I would recommend, but really to me, the number one place to get sites of the strip of Las Vegas Boulevard is still the Eiffel Tower. Uh, the Eiffel Tower, for some reason, is the perfect height for getting aerial shots of the strip. It's also semi outside, which I know doesn't sound appealing, but you actually, when you get out there, you're able to get much better photos because you don't have any glass that's obscuring your view. You also are at a perfect height for pictures of the strip without it being too, too far. You actually still get the scale of how big the hotel rooms are. Uh, so that's one thing that I would recommend is the Eiffel Tower. And also, uh, now, you know, nowadays, they actually let you do a package deal where you can actually do the Eiffel Tower and the observation wheel for a certain price. Uh, so that's another thing I'd recommend is the Eiffel Tower. And people always ask, like, is the big bus tour bus worth it? I would say yes and no. I would definitely say yes if you're trying to see a lot of things on the Las Vegas Strip as quickly as possible, and if you stay on it. If you get on and off, uh, I have to say, full disclosure, I used to work at Big Bus Tours, and honestly, I'm somebody who plans a lot in advance, where I actually think taking the bus is a detriment to me, just because I'm usually pretty good about getting to and from places, usually good about getting transportation, knowing when I need to take a taxi, knowing when I can walk, using public transport. This is in general when I go on vacation. So I would say if you are a person who's really good at pre-planning stuff and getting to and from where you need to go, I would say that you can sort of go without the bus just because and use other transportation if you need to get for, you know to further along places. Because when you do do the bus, especially on very busy weekends, let's just say, you know, 4th of July weekend where the 4th of July is on Saturday, the big bus tour can take a very long time, especially when there's a heavy, heavy dose of traffic. So you're going to be waiting for a bus to come around and you're actually wasting time on your vacation. So when you have, you know, only three days to do something, I think this is actually a detriment to you. If you're somebody who's here for five days and they have a multiple day pass, this may not be a bad choice for you because you have, you know, a lot of time to get up and down the strip and all that good stuff. But honestly, I think that you spend a lot of time waiting. And honestly, this has been my experience with Big Bus, not in Las Vegas. So this is places like New York, uh, Washington, D.C., where they actually are pretty good about getting their buses on track. I felt like I was always waiting for the bus, and I honestly hated it. I hate waiting for something to happen. I like being in control of my own sort of vacation. So if you are somebody who wants to get really good photos of the strip from the top of a double-decker bus, 
Big Bus Tours is the best way to go. They have a great night tour. would highly recommend their night tour, especially if you have an evening alone or an evening where you don't have like a dinner plan or something. It's a great thing to do in the evening. It's three hours. Highly recommend it if you do it sort of in the spring and the wind and the autumn time. In this, you got to be careful. In the summer, because it actually gets dark so late, if you do the night tour, let's just say like you're doing it in July, which is one of the longer you know days of the year, that's that month, is if you start it from, you know, at seven o'clock from the north end and do the strip going south, it's still daytime out. So you're only getting only half of the night tour. So typically, if you're able to do it where, you know, let's like spring or like sort of normal hours. I would highly recommend the night tour. It's about two and a half to three hours last time I checked. And you do get to see Fremont Street, which is sort of the neon part of the city. So I would highly recommend if you want to do, you know, quickly, you know, quick stuff, do it all in one shot. Big Bus Tours is not a bad idea. But for those of you just, you know, here for the sights, would highly recommend seeing the Bellagio Fountains for one, the Eiffel Tower as another. And then also going through some of the malls. Would highly recommend if you are not going to be, you know, doing a lot of specific activities or tours, uh, checking out the Caesars Forum shops as well as the Grand Canal shops over at the Venetian. I know it sounds silly you're walking through a mall, but they are just absolutely fantastic, especially for those of you coming in the summertime, like Jackie is. Um, it's actually a really nice break from being outside because it can be very, very hot, but you're still actually getting a little bit of a walk. It sort of feels like you're strolling. You can get grab lunch inside of the forum shops or Caesar's Palace in particular where they have Bobby's Burgers, which, yeah, they're a bit overrated, but it's kind of fun just sort of doing something touristy. And they also have other items at that food court in particular at Caesar's Palace. They have a Bobby's Burgers. They have an Earl of Sandwich, of course. They also have a Starbucks. I know these are all very generic things you can find, but sometimes if you just need a snack. Those are good options. But especially if you're going to be coming in June or July, would highly recommend walking through the forum shops as well as the Grand Canal shops because really they are fantastic. It's very fun to sort of just window shop and see all the high-end shopping that's inside. So think Louis Vuitton, uh, uh, Christian Louboutin as well. You can also check out like Gucci and Tiffany and all these places where even if you're not going to buy anything, it's kind of fun just to walk through. And the Nike store, which the Nike stores are kind of like the old Nike towns, which are really fun. Uh, so yeah, so I would definitely check out those or pictures in themselves, to be honest. And speaking of food, uh, one of the things that is always kind of interesting is it's hard to find places to eat sometimes or find time to take a break. would highly recommend that if you are going to be visiting Las Vegas to plan out lunch and dinner. Breakfast, I would say find your favorite breakfast spot and that's the place you go to. I say that if you're here on a budget, do not spend a lot of money on breakfast because, again, it's kind of all the same unless you're going to be doing like brunch, which if you're going to be doing a brunch, that should be sort of built into your vacation. So honestly, I'm not a like a huge bruncher, got to be honest, because um, I do follow football. So typically that's the time that I'm you know spending watching a football game. But I would definitely say that Brunch is definitely a thing that people love to do in town. Park MGM has a lot of great places. Uh, they also have a really f uh, fancy brunch, which is over at the Bellagio in Jasmine, uh, which is their Chinese restaurant, but it gets taken over on Sundays for their Sunday brunches. Uh, there's also the... Uh, uh, what's it called? There's also the uh, drag brunch, which is at Senor Frogs at Treasure Island, which is super popular. 
And for those of you party animals, uh, Lavo, which is a restaurant. It's a, ni- it's a nice restaurant, Italian. They do have a brunch spot inside of their hotel uh, or inside of their restaurant, uh, which is sort of a big party brunch. So that one's more for, you know, people who want like the club atmosphere, but with, you know, mimosas. So anyways, so I'm kind of getting off topic here. But yeah, so breakfast, find a spot that you enjoy. Some places like Ocean One are extremely popular at Planet Hollywood just because typically most of their food is under $10. Uh, there's also uh, Sedels, or Sedels, however you want to say it, at the Bellagio, which does really excellent uh, breakfast. Honestly, everybody, the most overrated breakfast spot is at the Cosmopolitan, one of my favorite hotels, called Egg Slut, which people from California, and in general, but California people in general, love Egg Slut. They line up for hours, and I just have to tell you, it's it's not that good. Uh, it's a it's a breakfast sandwich. So again, this is not worth your time, you know, s- wasting to go to this egg slut place. So again, that's just me being, you know, my 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 personal feelings go into it. So yeah, that's what I got to say about that. Uh, yeah, so find your breakfast spot. Uh, also, uh, for lunch, if you are somebody who wants to keep it light or just keep it sort of you know affordable on your first time, where you're not trying to spend too much time eating, at least for lunchtime. Uh, a lot of these hotels now have very high-end breakfast spots. So think things like um, like high-end food courts. Like Cosmopolitan has 16 Block, which has really great options. They have like taco spots. They have a hot chicken place. They have sushi. They have a sandwich shop. So really, really cool, unique places inside of Cosmo. Same thing at the Aria, where they just built their proper food court, which actually has it's their old buffet which has a bunch of different options to choose from. So that's really great. Resorts World also has a, an amazing uh, sort of food hall as well, which is supposed to be sort of like the one you find in Singapore or like Thailand, which are really famous where you can get different types of Asian cuisine like skewers. You can get duck. You can also get – they do have barbecue and burger spots there as well. So those are some options if you wanted to do something a little bit more uh, casual but also like heightened as well. Um, one of the more sort of cheesy spots that – kind of is kind of funny that it's really good is Gordon Ramsay's fish and chips which this is over at the link which the link is actually going to have a lot of different things inside of it of course also includes an in and out for those of you visiting from the east coast and want to get your in and out fix uh, that's over by the high roller the big ferris wheel but Gordon Ramsay's fish and chips is probably one of his best restaurants here in Las Vegas which I know sounds really ridiculous it's actually supposed to be very much like a stand you would find in England but they just do fish and chips they also do like shrimp and a couple other things but it's actually quite fantastic it's very much you just stand up and eat it Um, they do have like stands where you can sit or stand obviously Uh, he does have a very high-end restaurant inside of Paris called Steak, uh, Gordon Ramsay Steak, which is, you know, really fantastic. But other than that, I think this is actually one of his best restaurants in town. So even better than Hell's Kitchen for those of you big fans out there. So that's sort of, you know, what we got for lunch. I know there's lots of things going on there. And then another thing that Jackie wanted to ask me was, uh, going to the Grand Canyon. So let's get into it. So going to the Grand Canyon... If you're here for three days, and three days only, the Grand Canyon, if you really, really, really want to see it, just know that it's going to be taking up most of your day if you are not doing a helicopter. If you're going to do the Grand Canyon and you want to hear more in-depth knowledge on it, um, I did one last week, you know, last pod that came out was about the Grand Canyon in general. 
where if you do a Grand Canyon tour, it's going to take, you know, six to eight hours to do it. Let's just say actually seven to eight hours to be specific. So that's your entire day. So if you're spending here three days, it's going to be tough to do that, you know, do as much stuff as you want to do if you're going to be doing the canyon. If you're doing maybe four days, maybe you can sort of squeeze it in to do the Grand Canyon and spend that as one of your days, but you're going to be exhausted. Um, if you're going to do it, some places that I recommend to do the tour, um, if you want to do a tour a little bit more on the high end, I would recommend Pink Jeep Tours. They typically range between two, uh, 220 to $265, something in between there for doing the Westrim Tour. And if you want to do a little bit more of what we call a coach style tour, which is going to be, you know, 30 to 35 people, you're going to be looking closer to around, you know, 100 and 150 to 165 bucks uh, might tip up to the $880 range uh, if you're going to be doing like the skywalk and such. Um, so just know it does take a whole day. If you're going to be doing a helicopter ride, it's doable. Um, helicopters go to the Westrim, you know, every single day. Those are sometimes good to book in advance because sometimes they do fill up. Uh, but Maverick Helicopters is the company that I would recommend if you're going to be doing a helicopter tour. And those typically range between, you know, $450 and $560, give or take, you know, 20 or 30 bucks. Because, uh, you know, fuel kind of changes that sometimes. So um, if you do that, it ends up being like between like a four and four and a half hour day. Um, just because they usually count picking you up, taking you to the canyon, and then bringing you back as the entire experience. So that is something you can certainly do in one day and squeeze into a three-day trip. Uh, so just be wary for your three-day trippers that the Grand Canyon might be a little bit of a reach on your first time. Okay, so now we're going to be getting into dinner time, which is my favorite time of, of the trip. So I would say if you're going to be here for three days, your first night you're kind of getting your bearings. You kind of just want to figure out sort of what's going on. So your first night here, I would recommend that you – can do something a little bit more casual. So like Holstein's at the Cosmopolitan. You can maybe do like noodles over at the Bellagio. If you go to the Venetian, they have so many restaurants inside of there. Um, I I mean, it's kind of hard to count, but they have like Mateo's, which is very delicious. It's sort of experimental sort of pasta and Italian cuisine, which is fantastic. Uh, they have a Grand Lux Cafe, which is more of a chain. So I don't know if I'd recommend that for like your dinner. But sometimes, you know, that's a thing. Uh, Black Tap, which is sort of a burger spot uh, over at the Venetian, which, you know, can be it's extremely popular. Um, and also, I mean, Caesars has a lot of different options. I mean, they have like a Carmine's and that kind of thing. I also don't recommend those chain Italian restaurants just because, I don't know, I didn't have a great time. And you're here to, you know, try something different while you're in town. So um, just keep that in mind. But Caesars Palace, a lot of different restaurants to choose from. Um a lot of celebrity chefs think like Bobby Flay. They have a Chef Nobu's restaurant is there as well. Nobu, of course. Uh, they also have an Emerald Lagasse restaurant over at the Venetian. Yep, it's called Delmonico. So now I'm just listing things. But yeah, so your first night, be casual. First night, you can be casual. Maybe just slightly upscale a little bit if you want. The second night is the night you really want to go all out because that's the night you had all day to sort of plan. And if you're going to have one fancy dinner, I would say have at least one for sure and make it your second night because your second night, you're ready to go, gussied up. You can sort of dress to the nines if you want and then pick your options. So again, just depending on your price range, uh, but 
I would say this is the night that you do want to plan for ahead of time where maybe making a reservation uh, in, a, in advance is good. Or if you get there on the day of and don't remember what you wanted, uh, just go to the concierge. We'll figure it out for you. So that's definitely something that I would say to, to check out as well. Uh, also, uh, if you want to rent a car, you can rent a car from the airport. So the airport does have its own rent-a-car service. If you're going to be doing extensive traveling like outside of the Strip, I would recommend doing this because honestly, you can go from Hoover Dam to Red Rock Canyon, which are kind of the two opposites of each other, all in one day. So I would say if you're definitely a sightseer, that going to the Hoover Dam is definitely something that I would recommend just because it's doable in half a day. It's sort of a good way to spend your morning. And it's, again, something that's a sightseeing thing that's outside of the city that is definitely doable on a three-day trip. It'll take your mor- take up most of your morning, but I think it's 100% worth it. So uh, I would recommend doing that. We also have Hoover Dam tours as well, which are extremely popular. And if you end up doing that, I would highly recommend Pink Jeep Tours for doing that particular tour. Just know Pink Jeep Tours is probably one of the best tour companies here in Las Vegas, just because they're you know, level of service, as well as it's only small groups. So typically only up to like 12 people are going to be in one like SUV type of thing. So that's what I recommend for tours wise. Uh, But certainly I would say most of the strip is very, very picture friendly. Most people are good with you taking pictures most places. Uh, I would definitely stay, you know, center to the south of the strip. Those are sort of my preferences. That would include like the Aria, New York, New York, and Bellagio. Caesars, that's kind of the area that I recommend. But really, most of the strip is safe to walk up and down. Just you kind of want to be careful once you get to the north end past the wind, just because it gets a little bit darker in between those spaces. So keep that in mind if you're traveling here to town. Uh, I would also recommend, I mean, if you really want to check out Fremont Street, you can maybe do that on your first day when you're still excited. You really want to see Old Town. But honestly, if you want to be, if you're here for three days and you really just want to section it out, I would section it out as of doing the strip, one trip, and then maybe coming back and doing Fremont another time. So that is somewhat my itinerary. I know kind of jumbled and talked about for a while. Uh, Also, I want to mention this, uh, getting back to the airport, you can certainly just do an Uber. Ubers typically hang around all over Las Vegas Boulevard are typically very easy to find. Uh, If you do a taxi, it's typically going to be the same price as it was going back but usually $2 less because there's no fee for that. Uh, they also have Super Shuttle, which Super Shuttle I don't always recommend. It is a possibility, but I recommend Uber or Taxi as the easiest ways to get from your hotel back to the airport. So uh, hopefully, Jackie, this was uh, helpful for, for listening to this one as being your first time to Vegas. I would recommend, again, that you just take your time. Don't You don't have to stick super hard to your itinerary you're on vacation and those are sort of things it's sort of the best way to look at it is if you're thinking of your vacation as a you know an essay or something like that that you think of it as sort of an outline you don't have to follow it to the letter of the law it's sort of like a recipe that gives you an idea of where you want to go um and oh man we almost forgot shows we almost oh how are we going to finish this power that telling about shows Highly recommend, I say highly recommend a lot, but if you're going to do a show, a couple of shows you can book when you're here are like Cots, you know, Cirque du Soleil, um, Michael Jackson One. sometimes you can find seats for it while you're here. The only shows I recommend you book before you get here 
are certainly going to be uh, like Absinthe. I would also recommend the new show called, I believe, is it Dreams or Awakenings? There we go. Awakening, which is over at the Wynn Hotel. Uh, although that one, I've heard you can actually make reservations while you're here. So not great to hear for that show. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of our shows are going to more residencies anyway, sort of back to the old Rat Pack days. But man, what can you do? So I'm really sorry I almost skipped on all the show stuff. So really sorry about that, guys. But uh, again, shows are something you should maybe plan in advance just because if you want to get the best seat. Also, a couple good ticket places that you can look at if you're not going to be buying your tickets from a concierge are places like Ticks for Tonight. Ticks for Tonight typically come up with their ticket allotment the day of. So you really can't purchase in advance. So they typically open. People usually line up for Ticks for Tonight. Sometimes you can get them online. Uh, but... Typically, purchasing them in person is the most popular way to do it. Typically, the way this works is they get an allotment of tickets. It's usually sort of a general section. It's their tickets, so it's sort of repriced to you. But they get them in bulk, so they sell at a lower price, and that's kind of just the way it goes. Uh, but just know that these are given to you as vouchers, and then they give you the tickets at the ticket office, usually an hour before your show. So that's a place called Ticks for Tonight, which there's stands all up and down the strip, but the one... Most notably, uh, there was one in front of the Bellagio right next to their sign. There's also used to be one inside the Coke bottle. Also one in front of Caesar's Palace. So there's just ones that I'm kind of remembering as we're going. So again, uh, ticks for tonight, a good option if you do not book with your concierge, which I 100% recommend book with the concierge. So uh, that was sort of your trip here in Las Vegas. If you have any more questions, feel free to contact us at concierge confidential underscore lv on instagram or at keys to vegas on twitter and if you have any other you know questions or you want to talk about you know just any review if you want to review our podcast you go and let us know on uh, itunes if you want and again i'm just really happy that you guys are listening to the pod and again i just really welcome any questions you may have anything specific to your trip in particular but feel free to reach out to me any way you can so this was this week's Concierge Confidential. Hope you have a great week.